So if you're new to Crosspoint, this is a good Sunday for you to be here because we're putting one of our values, you heard Ryan talking about one of these values, we're kind of putting it on the center stage, like just making sure you know that we have this value of family discipleship. And, and we know that these Sundays, if you have the, the little kids that are in here for the, and they're not normally in here, these can be a little stressful, these can be, uh, there's a, lot, a little anxiety, what, what are they going to do? And you're training them and you're teaching them and we just, we just know that. And we want to we want to encourage you in that. We want to provide a, an encouraging environment and atmosphere for you to bring your kids in and train them. And we're, we're kind of in this together. We're not looking at you going, you need to train your kids. We're like, this is a part of our DNA. It's a part of who we are as a church. And so we want to encourage you as you're parenting and discipling your children, just like Ryan said. And so for our message today, we decided to talk about a story about a family in our Bible that should bring you a lot of encouragement because it should make you at least go, at least my family's not that bad. Uh, really, like this family is crazy. Everybody in this story is wrong. Every single one of them is doing something wrong. Right after Kelly stopped, right after in the story, Esau comes in and he's ready to get the blessing. He, he already knows he forfeited the blessing. He sold it for a bowl of denty more beef stew, but he, he's ready for the blessing. And, and there's this whole drama of like, no, no, I already gave it to Jacob. He tricked me. And Esau gets mad. And for 20 years, he basically decides he's going to kill him. Jacob's going to have to flee the house. Rebecca's going to tell him, like, you got to go. You got to go live with my kinfolk 500 miles away. Get out of here because Esau's going to kill you. Everybody in the story is wrong. And so this fam family ought to make us feel good about our own family. It ought to make you feel better about how your morning went, just in case it didn't go so perfect. Because this family's crazy. And, and here's the interesting thing to me about that. Have you ever noticed that all the families in the Bible, pretty much like they have this going on? The families that we see in the Bible are a mess. You talk about Abraham's family, you talk about that, that whole mess that we've already covered of like, well, you know, I know God promises a child and Sarah's like, but I can't have a, have a child, so take this other woman. There's just a mess all throughout. Family after family, David's family, Solomon's family, all these families are just a complete mess. If you're looking through your Bibles and you're trying to do this family thing right and you're trying to make disciples of your kids, you look at this and you're like, Where's the normal, healthy, perfect family that's the model? Where's that family? Where's the 1.2 kids and a dog? No cat, right? It's going to be a perfect family. No cats. That would ruin everything. And if you're a cat person, let me just, let me just go ahead and say right now, I'm just being serious. So the, this is... Where's that family in our Bible? And it, man, it's really hard to find that. These families in our Bible are messed up. And then there's other families in our Bible that are really messed up. And then there's some families in our Bible that are just completely jacked up, crooked on blocks in the front yard. And nobody wants to talk about it. It's, it's just an interesting thing when you look at the families in the Bible. You look at some of the sibling rivalry. You look at this Jacob and Esau thing going down. And I hope it encourages you because I, hope, I really do hope you go, well, at least my kids aren't this doing this. But I also hope it encourages you because it reminds you of some truth. It reminds you of some big picture truth when you see this in your Bible and you see these different families and the dysfunction that God works through families. He, he chooses to work through our families. That's the whole 
thing that we're following here is God taking Abraham, calling him, giving him a promise. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make you into a great nation. I'm going to give you descendants that outnumber the sand on the seashore, the stars in the sky. I'm going to bless you, Abraham, and I'm going to, I'm going to make you a family that is going to be a blessing to all the other families on the earth. God works through families. God loves families. And so we're tracing Abraham's family. And that blessing's now traveling, traveled to Isaac. From Isaac, it travels to Jacob. And then from Jacob to the 12 tribes that become Israel. And this God is working through families. He's working through families, all the families. The messed up families, the really messed up families, the jacked up crooked on blocks families. He's working through the families. And so he's working through yours. Sometimes it's really hard to see the evidence of that. Sometimes you're you're trying as hard as you possibly can and it just doesn't feel like it's working. It doesn't feel like it's sticking. It doesn't feel like anybody's listening. I get it. Man, we've all done that. We've all been there. My kids are older now. When my kids were younger, I was trying so hard to do family devotions and get everybody's attention and try to like sit around, let's talk about this, let's discuss this. And almost every time we had a real good, like meaningful chunk of time, and I led a family devotion, like almost every time somebody ended up in timeout. Usually it was me. My wife would just tell me, go take five, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna, go, I'm gonna take some deep breaths, I'll come back, I'll try this again. Like, it's, it's hard. And even when you don't see the evidence of it, God's working in our families. God, is, God works through families. In the messiness of our families, God works. You say, man, my family's a mess most of the time. Yeah. All our families are a mess most of the time. All the Bible families are a mess most of the time. And God's working that. So here's what we can say. That the messiness of our families highlights something for us. It highlights God's grace, his mercy, his love, and his redemption. Your family's a mess? Yep, it's, it's not really about you. It's about putting God's mercy, God's grace, God's love, God's redemptive power on display, it's highlighting. The messiness of our families is maybe a part of the design. When you look at your Bible, they're all messed up and God's working through them to bring about redemption, to show his grace, to show his love, to show his mercy. Maybe it's all a part of this big picture plan that sometimes we, have a, we just lose sight of. Then the messiness of our families, God's at work. And he's highlighting his greatness. He's highlighting his glory. He's highlighting his patience and his love and his kindness all those different kinds of things. And you look at this, this story, and Re- Rebecca's eavesdropping, and she's conspiring with Jacob to steal the blessing, and Jacob's lying, and he's even blaming God on it. How did I, how'd you get the food so quickly? God gave me favor in the hunt. Like, he's lying about everything. And they're not, like, if you look at the story, on the surface, nobody's really, nobody's evil, I think that's what's encouraging. These aren't just wicked, evil people. These are just people that are trying to make decisions and trying to manage this thing, and they've just stepped outside a little bit. I mean, there's, there's good qualities about all of them. They're just, they're just all acting wrong. There's, there's really good qualities about just about everybody in this thing. Rebecca's quality is, I mean, she loves her son Jacob, but she obviously is a, an amazing cook. She can make goat taste like venison. So, I mean, that, that's a woman right there. Like... There's good qualities all throughout the story, but they've just stepped outside of God's plan. They've stepped outside the boundaries. 
And when you look at this family and you look at the families in the Bible, I think there's this common problem that you see with all of them, and that is this, that there's, there's this lack of trust in God that causes us to veer off the path. And we've talked about that, right? We talked about when God doesn't do what we think he's supposed to do, or when God doesn't answer the way we think he's supposed to answer, or maybe it's God doesn't answer when we think he's supposed to answer, it's so hard in those moments to keep trusting him. And when we do, we veer off the path. And, and man, we, we just kind of all do this together. This, this Isaac guy who's He's trying to trust God, but then he's decided that he loves Esau. So even though God had said, before these twins were born, God had said the younger is going to rule the older one. The older one will serve the younger one. God had already kind of decreed that this blessing was going to go through Jacob. Isaac is still there at the end of his life trying to circumvent the system. He's trying to go outside what God had, tried, trying to do it his own way. He stopped trusting God and he started doing his own thing. And this is, a, this is a family problem with this family. If you remember Abraham, like he's the man of faith. He's the man who trusted God. He's the man who obeyed God. Look back at chapter 26. We're really kind of, this whole story is 26 and 27. Look at the first part of 26 because there's this interesting thing that God tells Isaac because there's a famine in the land and Isaac wants to go to Egypt like Abraham did when the famine was there. We covered that several weeks ago. And God tells him, don't go to Egypt. I want you to stay here. And so Instead of going to Egypt, Isaac goes to Gerar and he goes to Abimelech, which is another king that Abraham had dealt with. And in verse 3 of 26, it says, Sojourn in this land and I will be with you and will bless you. This blessing I'm going to promise, I promise Abraham is going to be to you. For you, to you and to your offspring, I will give all these lands. I will establish the oath and I swore to Abraham your father. I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven. I will give to your offspring all these lands. And in your offspring, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Look at verse 5. I'm doing this because obey, Abraham, because he obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. Oh, Abraham was faithful, and so I, I'm doing this. I'm going to pass the blessing to you, Isaac. Stay here. Trust me. Very next thing, verse 6. Isaac settled in Gerar. When the men of the place asked him about his wife, he said, look at this. Oh, she's, she's just my sister. Is that story familiar? Abraham did that twice. He did that in Egypt with Pharaoh. He did it with the same king, Abimelech. For he feared to say my wife, thinking lest the men of the place should kill me because of Rebekah, because she was attractive in appearance. Later in the story, like Abimelech sees him talking and interacting with his wife, and he knows that it's not his sister, and so he rebukes him. The pagan king rebukes him for not being honest. But he makes the same mistake that Abraham made. Like, that story was probably told around family dinner time at some point. And he makes the same mistake. It's just a reminder to us as parents that our kids are watching us, that they're learning from us. They learn more about what we do than what we say. More is caught than taught. And the example that we set is important, but it's also a reminder that Isaac's mistake here immediately reminds us of Abraham's mistake. But in the verses right before that, God says, Abraham, he believed me and he obeyed me. That God looks at us as being faithful, even when we make mistakes because of what Jesus has done for us. It's a reminder of encouragement to us that our kids are watching us, but God covers over our mistakes. 
What, what, what I see in this family and everything that they're doing is kind of like outside the boundaries. Here's what God was trying to do. And they said, no, we, I got a better way over here. They stopped trusting. And it reminds me of this, this verse we've talked about before. It's a familiar verse. It's one that's good to memorize. Our kids club has been actually memorizing this verse. It's Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Kids, you, you got this verse ready? Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. It'll be on the screens. So you can, you can see a little bit. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. And don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your path, or your path straight. See, there's, there's two ways to live life. It's trusting in the Lord with all of your heart. Even when he's silent, even when it doesn't seem like he's doing it the way you're supposed, you just keep trusting that God has a plan. And, and if you don't, what you'll do is you'll lean on your own understanding. You'll go to the other side of this, and you'll start going, no, I, I guess God needs my help. He needs me to do some things over here to orchestrate some stuff. Man, as soon as we stop trusting God and we start leaning on our, understand, on our own understanding, we, we fall off the path. We, we take a detour that God doesn't want us to take. And you see that in everybody in the story. Jacob was always, already promised the blessing. But he goes on his own. He leans on his own understanding. I guess I'm going to have to trick my dad to get this blessing. That God had already promised him. God had promised it to Rebecca, and she's conspiring behind the scenes. She orchestrates the whole thing. Because they, God, maybe God's not going to do what he said. So we better lean on our understanding. Well, guys, if you will trust in him, acknowledge him, acknowledge that his way is better, acknowledge his plan is better, and everything you do, he'll put you on the right path. He'll keep you off those detours. He will keep your path straight if you trust in him. So when I look at this family and I think of how much they struggled to trust God and they kept leaning on their own understanding, what I want to do is like spend some time talking about how we can trust God. Because there's obviously so many details in this story, but I just want to kind of stay at this big picture level and say, what does it look like for us to trust God and not lean on our own understanding, not take a detour, not get off the path, but have the path be straight because we're trusting and acknowledging God in all of our lives. And so I want to talk to kids first. How many, of you get, how many of you kids, raise your hand if you're four years old. If you're four years old, raise your hand. Five years old, raise your hand. Four and five-year-olds, raise your hand. How many of you guys are in kindergarten all the way up through fifth grade? You're in grade school. Raise your hand if you're in the room like this. Okay. So we got kids all over the place, four years old to fifth grade. This, this right here is for you. Listen to me. I'm going to give you the best way that you can trust God. Kids, trust God by obeying and honoring your parents. I'm the hero now, right? <laughs> yeah, that's what I said. The, only the parents are clapping, that's weird. I, I'm being, I could not be more serious. God wants you basically to do one thing if you're a kid in that age range. Obey and honor your parents. I, I think it's that simple. You get to show the world that you trust God by doing this. Obey your parents. Even when they don't make sense. And some of your parents don't make sense some of the time. I know because I know them. I know because I don't make sense a lot of the time. Trust God 
by obeying and honoring your parents. It's a verse in your Bible that maybe Kids Club can do next. Ephesians 6, verses 1 through 3 would be a great passage to learn. It says this, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with the promise that it will go well with you and you may live long in the land. So trust God. Show that you trust God by obeying your parents. Your parents give you some rules and boundaries that don't make sense. Guess what? Trust God. You don't have to, you don't have to go, well, I, I think these, these rules do make sense. You don't have to say that. You say that to your parents. Thank you for the rules, Mom. Those really make sense to me. There's going to be some real hard times going on. Like, no, your parents are going to freak out. So You just have to say, I'm gonna trust God and obey my parents even when it doesn't make sense. All right, all those kids, four-year-old through fifth grade, how many of you have a bedtime before 10 o'clock? Your bedtime is before 10 o'clock. We got middle schoolers, high schoolers on the thing. How many of you have a bedtime before nine o'clock? Keep your hand up. If your bedtime's before nine o'clock, you're in good company because so is Pastor Ryan's. Before nine o'clock. Anybody before eight o'clock? Yeah, so you have a bedtime. Do you love your bedtime? Do you like it? No, you don't like your bedtime. Sometimes it doesn't make sense. Sometimes you think, man, mom and dad just don't know. I'm never tired. No, they do know that you're never tired. Your bedtime may not be for you. And you go, man, I'm, I'm gonna trust God even though my parents are completely wrong because I'm never tired and I'm going to go to bed when they say go to bed. It's crazy, but it just could be true. It could be from our Bible that you're going to obey your parents. How many of you get to watch whatever you want to watch on TV? Okay, the ones that raise your hand, Pastor Kai is going to talk to you later, all right? He's going to talk to your parents. You don't get to watch whatever you want to watch on TV. There's some shows and your mom and dad have said that before, haven't they? They've said, hey, nope, you can't watch that. It's not good. And you go, man, all my friends are watching it. And your parents said what? I don't care what your friends are doing. It's in our, it's in our book. We have a book, and that's one of our standard responses. Um, and you go, you know what? I can, my parents, I think that they should let me watch this show, but here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to trust God. Even when my parents say something that doesn't make sense to me, because I I think that God has given me these parents to give me these boundaries, to give me this instruction, to put me on the right path. And so you obeying your parents is really you trusting God. We got any teenagers in here? You don't have to raise your hand. I know you hate that. But I don't want to leave you out. Because you have the exact same thing from God as long as you're under the authority of your parents in your house. And that goes way into college, just let me warn you now. And it's the same thing. Here's what God wants you to do. Trust him by obeying and honoring your parents. And maybe as a teenager, you need to work on the honoring just as much as you do the obeying sometimes. Because guess what? As a teenager, your parents make even less sense. They're going to get everything wrong. And your friends will be right there to tell you how crazy and out of touch your parents are. And so as a teenager, your parents give you a curfew. They give you some boundaries. They tell you when you should use your phones and when you should put them up. They tell you about social media and they warn you the dangers of this. And you can roll your eyes and you can act like they're crazy. Or you can say, you know what, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to trust God. 
I believe that God knows better than everybody how I should live my life. So I'm going to trust God. And here's how you do that. You obey and honor your parents. You don't obey them with bitterness and talk bad about them. Everybody, you obey them and you honor them. It will go well with you. Kids, trust God by obeying and honoring your parents. But this is family-focused Sunday. This is not just kid-focused Sunday. So I want to talk to us as parents too. Because parents, we, we have to remember that we're called to trust God when things don't make sense, when he, he doesn't seem to be doing what we want him to do. And so parents, I want us to pay attention to this. We trust God by giving our kids grace and the gospel. And it may, it may really be that simple sometimes, that we trust God when our kids are spinning out of control, when, when we don't understand what they're doing, we don't think what we're doing is working, we're gonna trust God and we're gonna continually give our kids grace and we're gonna continually give them the gospel. We're gonna point them, point them, point them over and over and over to Jesus. Give them grace and give them the gospel. Here's the, here's the deal. Everybody in the story is trying to do it their own way. They've, they've stepped off the path that's straight and they're leaning on their own understanding. God doesn't seem to be doing what he's supposed to do, so I'm gonna do it my way. And man, there's a lot of that in our parenting, isn't there? I mean, just, I don't know, I don't, I don't know man. I, I thought I was trying this, but it doesn't seem like it's working, so I, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna try this. I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna, I'm gonna work on their behavior. I'm gonna work on just lessons. And it's really, really easy to parent in a way that seems good and even looks good. Even on the surface, it might even work. Jacob's plan worked on the surface, didn't it? But behind the scenes, Rebecca's plan and Jacob's plan fell apart because Esau tried to kill him. She sent him 500 miles away. He stayed there 20 years and Rebecca never saw her son that she loved again. So on the surface, it looked like it worked, but behind the scenes, it didn't work at all. That promise was already made to him. He didn't have to do that. And there's a lot of things in our parenting where we do it and we think, okay, that worked. I got them to be quiet. I got them to behave. I got them to make a good choice. I got them to do the right thing. But it was void of the gospel and therefore the long-term results and success may never show up. So what do we do? We trust God enough to give our kids grace and give our kids the gospel. There's a, there's a book, and some of you guys know this, that there's a book we've been recommending since the summer called Give Them Grace. And it's, it's a parenting book. It's a gospel-centered, pointing them to Jesus. It's a great book. And we've been planning to have this book discussion about it. And, and that date is, is to be determined, but it's coming soon. Our children's ministry team has been working on that. And we're going to gather together as parents, and we're going to discuss this book. And so hopefully you've read it or started reading it. If you haven't, like go get a copy. If you don't have time to read it right now, that's fine. Just come to the discussion. We'll let you know when that's going to be because this book will help us. It will sharpen us and it will help us become the parents that trust God enough to give our kids grace and give our kids the gospel. And I there's so much good stuff in the book and I really want you to read it. If you're a parent and this is anywhere difficult or any kind of a struggle for you at all in this parenting, this book can, it can really help you because it's so scripture-centered and it's so gospel-centered. And if you're a parent that's not struggling at all, then that's a whole different problem. 
Let me give you three different quotes. And I mean, I don't really like to do that. I like to give you an overload of quotes, but I wanted, I wanted to really highlight this book and to give you kind of a well-rounded picture as we're parenting together in this process from this book. Here's the first one. Distinctly Christian parenting must be accomplished in the environment of the good news about Jesus Christ or it is not Christian parenting. Wow. It may work for a while. It may make your life manageable and God may use it, but it's not of the Lord. Here's what I mean by that. Here's what they mean by that too. We have to give our kids the law. You have to give your kids rules. You have to give your kids boundaries. You have to be the parent. And some of you guys, that may be what you needed to hear today. That you need to hear, yes, it's okay to say no. It's okay to set boundaries. It's okay to give them the rules and the law. But we don't give our kids the law in order to make them good. We give them the law because this is the way they should live, but we give them the law to give us opportunity after opportunity to point them to Jesus because we can't obey the law. You don't obey the law and I don't obey the law, so our kids won't either. So we give them the law and we set boundaries and we watch them and when they make a mistake, we run to Jesus together and point them back to him. And so if all we're doing is giving the kids the law and we're not helping point them to Jesus when they break our law, guess what? We're not, we're not doing Christian parenting. And here's what I'm convinced. When you do that, when, and I've done that so many times, I've just given my kids the law and just given them morality and just given them good decisions and, and forgot to include the gospel in that. What you're doing in that, that situation is you're either going to produce little Pharisees or little prodigals. You can produce little prodigals that run far away from your law. And God's going to have to grab a hold of them and bring them back. And he can, but you're, you're kind of pushing them away because you just give them law without the gospel. Or you're producing little Pharisees who think that they have to earn it and they have to keep up the standard and they're not accepted. But when you give them the law and you watch them fail and you watch them break the law and you point them back to Jesus, you're giving them the gospel. And that's what the law was designed to do. The law is designed to teach us that we need somebody to rescue us from our law-breaking ways. So Christian parenting gives kids the law, gives them boundaries, and when they break them, run to Jesus with it. What does that look like? Well, here's another quote. When we have Christian righteousness, when our, when our kids, when we are in Christ, when we put our faith and trust in Jesus, then he gives us his righteousness. So when we have Christian righteousness, God looks upon us and our believing children as being perfectly obedient. Think about that for a second. Because of Jesus and what he did, dying on, in our place on the cross, he gave us his righteousness so that now God looks at us in Christ and sees us as, as if we've always obeyed. And he sees your kids that way too if they're in Christ. No matter how we fail, God doesn't smile at us one day and then frown when we blow at the next. When our children have been given the gift of Christian righteousness, God is always smiling at them because he sees them in his son. Now take that quote and then just ask yourself the question, if I really, really embraced that, how would it change my parenting? How would it change the way I interact with my kids tomorrow? That would be a good quote and a good discussion for community group this week. If I believe that God sees my kids because they put their faith in Jesus in Christ and in his righteousness as if they've always obeyed, then when they make a mistake, how will, that res how will I respond? No, you're not God. I'm not God. We don't, we don't, 
we're not going to not see their mistakes, but it should change the way we respond to their mistakes, knowing that in Christ, he's always smiling at them. That's what Christian parenting looks like. That's what faith-based trusting in God parenting looks like. Trusting in what God says about your kids instead of what you're seeing about your kids. One more. So, and maybe this is you this morning. So when you have that morning to top all mornings, when everything that could possibly go wrong does, when grace doesn't mean anything to you, it's his grace that will sustain you. What mornings like this teach us is that we're just like our children. They forget and so do we. They need grace and so do we. We are partners in grace with them. Kids, did you hear that? Your parents make mistakes too. They may try to hide it, but they do. And they need grace just as much as you need grace. I need grace just as much as you need grace. And when our families are a mess, it reminds us that we all need Jesus. We got no hope without him. From four-year-old all the way up, we all need him. And it reminds us when our families are a mess that his grace is right there in the middle of it, actively working, his redemptive powers on display. And what he's doing is he's taking the mess that our families are and he's making something beautiful out of it. It's a beautiful mess that God has created and put us in called family. So let's run to him, let's thank him for that, and let's trust him with every single bit of it. Let's pray. God, thank you for families. Thank you for squirming kids in the worship service. Thank you for kids that are doodling and listening with, with their ears and you're planting seeds of truth in their minds and in their hearts that the fruit will come from that in your perfect timing. Thank you for a group of parents who want to honor you in the way that we parent. And we want to point our kids to you and the gospel and the truth from your word. And God, I pray that you would be honored and glorified in our parenting, in our families, from from little kids all the way up to grandparents in our midst, that you'd be honored and glorified in that. And God, that you would put your grace, your love, your mercy, and your redemption on display through this beautiful mess that we call our families. For your glory, God, we ask it. Amen.